a talk. Some people tell me after a talk that they feel that I was talking directly about them or to them, right? Especially if they've come to like the sacrament of confession and then I talk about something um, like later on and they feel like I'm talking about them. The reality is I'm not. I, the, the reality is I'm only talking about my own personal struggles and my own spiritual growth and I'm only sharing where I feel tension within me or where I'm struggling myself. And I'm just sharing a message with you, but it's all coming from something personal. So it's nothing necessarily about you, but it's, it's where I am spiritually, and I'm just kind of sharing that from my, myself personally. But the worst part, the worst part about being a priest, not, well, I know that sounds kind of bad, but the worst part about being a priest in marriage, I should say, is that anytime, like, Sarah and I will have an argument or whatever, she always pulls out a card that she can only pull that your spouses are unable to pull. And that card is, well, you preached about this two weeks ago and you said this two weeks ago. So she starts quoting me of what I said and using it against me of what I should be doing. I'm sharing that because that just happened recently and it's the worst. It's the worst when any sense begins. Well, you just said this two weeks ago at the eight or you just said that in the liturgy sermon. So it's the worst when any sentence begins in that way. It always bites me. But my words end up keeping me accountable. They keep me accountable because, I mean, we all want this, right? You don't want to, parents, you don't want to tell your kids, uh, do what I say, not what I do, right? So in the same way, like, I strive to what I'm saying is exactly what I'm trying to do and we're trying to push forward. But what I want to share with you today is a tension that we can all relate to. And in theory, we understand the right decision, but the application of it is so hard. So in, before I share what it is, in theory, you would agree where this tension is, I'm sharing, you and I agree on as far as what's the right thing to do. But the application of it, the execution of it, is where there is tension. So we're going to pick up a passage in the gospel according to St. Luke. So the devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Right? So we're not going to understand this at a logical basis because we're limited. But the devil here is showing Jesus. Many of you are fam might be familiar with this. Some of you are not. It's okay, but stick with me here. So the devil led Jesus upon a high place and showed him in, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Let me pause right there. So I was trying to think what's, um, what's something we can relate to, right, to the whole idea of, like, the devil showing us all the kingdoms, and, and it just makes us kind of lean in more, and we want to go into that trap. At least for me, like, the thing, I guess, that came to mind instantly, if you take me to the Apple store and you show me, the new iPhone, a new iPad, and a new MacBook, even though all my devices work perfectly fine. But if you take me to the Apple store and you show me all this and you say, here you go, Father Nate, all the kingdoms of the world are yours, right? Yeah, you ever been to a place where it just, it's so overwhelming, you just like, I got to get out of here before I make a decision or before I purchase something in which I will regret, right? So this is equivalent to that. I'm not really about the same, but I'm trying to relate it to our human nature of what we can understand Ladies, I don't know if that's like a thing, like with shoes or purses or something. Or you go into that store and you're like, I got to get that. Or you see on Amazon, I got to buy that, right? So this is kind of similar to that, right? So all this I will give you, the devil said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written. And now the, Jesus is quoting from the Jewish Bible, from the Torah, from the Old Testament. And Jesus tells them, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
it's nice, right? Like, yeah, good job, Jesus. Like, you didn't fall into the trap of the devil. And there seems to be a disconnect between that narrative and our lives. Like, what's the connection? Like, you and I read this passage, this dialogue that happened between Jesus and, and Satan, you know, in, in the wilderness. So what on earth does this have to do with you and me? How Jesus responds points us to a different world. How Jesus responds points to a different life altogether. Talk about self-discipline. Talk about, and here's the buzzword from today, self-denial. Self-denial. For Jesus to see all of this, and you could easily, you could ignore me right now, and you'd be like, oh yeah, of course he's God, so of course it's easy. But stick with me. Don't, don't, don't let that just kind of pass by. But we're seeing an icon to life. Christ being the fullness of, of life and being the fullness of you, what you and I are intended to be, of what you and I are intended to be like, he sets an icon for us and gives us the posture of self-denial. What I'm sharing in the rest of this message is probably the most unattractive message you can give to someone who questions faith or is wanting to become a Jesus follower because this is the most unattractive message. So, and I want to make that very clear, and I'll even make that more clear why it's the most unattractive initially. It's the most unattractive initially. But when you follow through with this, this is where life is. Think about this for a second. Here is a 2,000-year-old world religion of Christianity. And the icon and the symbol that is used for this worldview that has changed world history in the calendar and various aspects of life as we know it, is not a sword. It's not a sword. It's not a lion. It's nothing of like, ugh, right? It's a symbol of a criminal that has changed its meaning over the months and years and decades and centuries after the life of Jesus. But the universal symbol, which I get it, has been watered down and, you know, rappers and everyone, Christian or not, kind of wears it. I, I get it. But the universal symbol, an icon of the Christian worldview, don't, don't pass by this too quickly, as a symbol of, the, of a method of death. It is common to see a cross. If you and I were back in the year 20 AD, when you and I think of a cross or see a cross or you see any two pieces of wood kind of crossing each other, you instantly think of a thug who is going to have to become, has, is, is on death row. That's the only thing that comes to mind. And here is Jesus the Christ taking on this symbol, this icon, and gives it a brand new meaning. And now, centuries later, and from that movement moving forward, now it's not a symbol of a criminal. It is now the symbol of a movement that has brought life. It is a weapon now that Jesus' followers tattooed on themselves, wore it on their necks, and used it as a weapon for themselves. The beauty of our Orthodox faith, one of the beauties of the church, is the liturgical life of the church. Like, it's not like we come just for Christmas, we don't just come for Easter, and not every Sunday is the same. Every season is unique and the church is wanting to highlight one aspect of theology one aspect of spirituality for our edification 
So it's not just all mixed together all the time, but the church is wanting to elevate certain things, right? Just, I mean, we get this at a psychological level. This is why we have seasons, right? And, and, like, so from that, you get this. There are seasons that are highlighted more than others. There's themes that are more highlighted more than others. There's even food that's highlighted more seasons than others. So we kind of get this cycle of life. The church taps into that reality. This past week, the liturgical life of the church, of the Orthodox Church, was celebrating the Feast of the Cross, the Feast of the Cross. So twice a year, the church gives us a day or multiple days in which the church highlights the cross, and that becomes the centerpiece. There's historical significance of that when you look at King Constantine and his mother, Queen Helen, but we won't get into the history today. But there's significance historically why the church elevates two times a year that we elevate and highlight the cross. Even the formal name of Feast of the Cross is called the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross. The Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross. Because for Jesus' followers, we exalt the cross because what used to be a symbol of darkness and death and uh, being a criminal now has become a sign of victory and it has given us the path to life. And now the church elevates that above anything else. This is why the terrorist who became a Jesus follower, St. Paul the Apostle, he writes this letter to the city of Corinth in Greece and he tells them this. For Christ did not send me, Paul, to baptize, but to preach the gospel. I'm not preaching the gospel with wisdom and eloquence with my words and flat screens and skinny jeans. I'm trying to wow you with my word. I'm not trying to do that with my, eloquent, with, my, with my wisdom and eloquence. No. If I do that, the cross of Christ will be emptied of its power. If I wow you with the right words that you want to hear and to make you feel nice and gushy inside and you've you got good snacks and good coffee and you're good, man, you feel, you feel like a million bucks, if I do that with wisdom and eloquence to you, then I have completely taken away, I've emptied the power of the cross. He continues. For the message of the cross, he, he elaborates, the message of this cross seems so foolish to those who are perishing. Like to those who are not Jesus followers, this is complete foolishness, right? This is just uh, another person, another Friday of someone being crucified on a cross. It's just, it's foolish. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. He hints at some mysticism. He hints at this divine reality of the cross now being transferred over to a symbol of being a criminal, to being a sign of victory, of it being a weapon in our warfare and our struggles in this temporal world. Anytime I go visit somebody at their house, and I, I'm not, it's my first time, and I'm not sure if I'm at the right house. And I, I don't know if this house or the next house next to it. What do I do? Everyone want to guess what do I do to know if I'm at the right house or not? Yeah, exactly. No, well, not necessarily a house. I peek in the, in the car. Do I see a cross on, the, on, their, on their mirror? If I, know, if I see a cross, then I'm at the right house most of the time. It hasn't, I haven't, it hasn't failed yet. But that's my thing. Because what, am I, what I'm highlighting, the cross now has become this universal symbol, this universal icon of Christianity, that you see it everywhere. You see it everywhere. And even those in the Coptic Orthodox tradition, historically speaking, and obviously some people still follow that, they, play, they have a tattoo of a cross on their wrists. And this is still practiced in Egypt, and I know some people do it here as well. But th th this is to remind every, anything I do, I'm always seeing this sign of victory. And I think, think, and I think some parts of Egypt um, 
they place it on their hand. I don't know, some parts of Egypt, I think. They place it right here, right here. And because and anything they do, they're reminded. They're reminded of Christ. It's always in front of them. This icon of victory, this weapon of the cross is always before them. I want to share with you this. I love this so much. I love this so much. This is so beautiful. I want to share with you a quote from a scholar from the second century. His name is Tertullian. Tertullian. Say the name Tertullian. 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 It's a really cool name, right? So he's from North Africa, Tertullian. So he's from the second century. So probably his great-granddad was living at the same time as Jesus. Okay, so stick with me on this. North African scholar and, and, and Jesus' follower by the name of Tertullian. He was super wise and wrote really eloquent stuff, all right? So Tertullian is writing in the second century, precisely around the year 180 A.D. 180 A.D. In all our travels and movements, and all our coming in and our going out, and putting on our shoes, at the bath, at the table, and lighting our candles, and lying down, in sitting down, whatever employment occupies us, we mark our foreheads with the ancient sign of the cross. Second century, 180 AD, and he uses the word ancient sign of the cross. This gives you a glimpse that from the early decades of Christianity, the sign of the cross was prevalent and common and mainstream in Christianity. So the whole idea, where did the sign of the cross come from? Is that like made up or the Catholic Church, or the Orthodox Church kind of did that later on? If Tertullian is calling it the ancient sign, and this is from the second time, like, right, when we use the word ancient, we're talking about ancient, right? So for him to use the word ancient, and get this, this is from North Africa. This is not just a few miles away from, from, from the crucifixion or in Jerusalem. This is in North Africa. So it's already reached there. It's not like you took a plane or something. So th it's already been a movement. It's already clear in the Middle East and in North Africa. There's already a common gesture of an exercise, a spiritual exercise of doing the sign of the cross. So it's already common. It's already embedded in mainstream Christianity doing the sign of the cross. And you notice he's not talking about when you go to church, do the sign of the cross. He's talking about your way of life, your, your movement, your being. You're in the bathroom, you do the sign of the cross. You're putting on your shoes, you do the sign of the cross. It becomes embedded within us. And any negative thought that comes to me or a lustful thought comes, I do the sign of the cross. Fear or anxiety is getting the best of me. I'm doing the sign of the cross. And let me go ahead and explain this for maybe those who are not aware. And we'll, we'll, I'll share an example of it too. The sign of the cross, don't get stuck on the details of it because the sign of the cross is the sign of the cross. I can't remember what church father said this, but some church father said, if I see two pieces of wood by itself, it's two pieces of wood. But once I see them crossed like this, I venerate the cross. So he's sharing... He's sharing uh, the fact that anytime he sees like two pieces of, of, of anything crossing, I, it reminds me of the power of the cross. And he does the sign of the cross. But the formal textbook way of doing the sign of the cross is taking three fingers, which reflect the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm touching my forehead. Not my words, not some bishop's word. Second century Tertullian is documenting what Christians are already doing. I'm from from uh, my forehead down to here, the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because from the Father, he sent his Son down to earth. And through the cross, I am going from death to life. I'm being transferred from old life into new life. So the le left reflects that. 
and the right reflects like dominant or new life, which I'm, I'm left-handed, so I take that very personal that the left is like, you know, dark and stuff, but anyway, but that's why. So, but later on in history, um, the Eastern Orthodox Church th- did it differently, did it from right to left, but the theology is still the same. The Catholic Church and the, and, uh, and, and the Oriental Orthodox Church is us. We do it from the Father and the Son and from left to right. So through the power of the cross, I go from death to life, from left to right. So this is why I, we do the sign of the cross this way. So Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the three fingers. And even these two fingers, my index finger is a little bit above the pinky finger. Because from, so from the Father, he sent his Son into the world. So this is why, but I'm going like this. But uh, can I be honest with you and don't judge me? I don't think I really do it like this because I, I, I most of the time I'm just going like this. Or sometimes I'm holding the cross and doing it. So don't get stuck on the details of it. But I just want to share with you the formal richness of what the church tells us as far as doing the sign of the cross. But for God's sake, don't scratch your tummy when you're doing the sign of the cross, right? There's some people who yeah, you know, like, l- let's have honor and reverence toward the cross, right? So we do the sign of the cross, like this, 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 this. But don't, don't, don't just come like this, you know, as if you have something on your shirt, you know, go like this. So <laughs> it's, it's best not to do that. So the, the gesture of doing the sign of the cross, hear me out, is older than the Bible. The sign of the cross is older than the B-I-B-L-E. Another bishop. Just in case you want to dismiss Tertullian writing this, fine, sure. Let's go, let's go to the 4th century. St. John Chrysostom says this. You should not then carelessly make the sign, on, uh, so, the sign on the forehead, but you should impress it on your heart with the love of a fervent faith. Nothing impure will dare to molest you on seeing the weapon which overcomes all things. He's saying, don't just do it carelessly, uh, whatever, you know, uh, everyone else doing the sign of cross, I'll do the sign of cross. No. He's saying, don't do it, don't do whatever about it, but impress it in your heart. So he's even highlighting, it's not about the external thing. It's an external expression that points to an internal truth. So it's not about the, just the external thing and disconnecting it from the inner life. No, connect the external expression with the inner truth of the sign of the cross. So connect the two together. St. John Chrysostom is making a big deal about this. In the sayings of the Desert Fathers, there is a writing, which I think is anonymous, in which there is a monk in the desert, and he was out, uh, you know, having some solitude in the desert, and he, it got too dark too quickly, and he didn't have enough time to go back to the monastery to go be in, in the monastery, right? So he decided to spend the night outside, in, 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 uh, outside. so he, what he did is he did sign of the cross on the sand in a circle around him, and he spent the night on the floor in the middle of the cross, and he woke up the next day, and there's wild animals and snakes around the cross. Like, not near him, but where he did the sign of the cross around him is where he was staying. You are more than welcome to dismiss that. But I encourage you to go in to experiencing the power of the cross in your life. You don't have to believe anything I'm saying. You don't have to believe St. Paul. You don't have to believe Tertullian. You don't have to believe St. John Chrysostom. You can dismiss all of that. But if you're questioning your faith and you're wanting to take a next step, I encourage you, practice the physical gesture of doing the sign of the cross. When negative thoughts come to you, maybe you don't want to use the word sin. When any negative thought comes, negative emotion comes, do the sign of the cross and see. One of the most beautiful hymns of the church which uh, 
kind of strange. My old Sunday school teacher is here who taught me this hymn. Holy mighty. God, we pray this hymn on Good Friday. God, you are mighty. Who by weakness you showed forth what is greater than power. Weakness is what some Jewish people saw when they saw Jesus on the cross. And you and I would probably want to label that as weakness as well, understandably. That's weakness. Weak. The person who created eyeballs, raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, created free lunch from five loaves and two fish, all of that just several months ago, now is weak on the cross. Holy mighty, who by weakness he showed forth what is greater than the essence of power. And you know what that is? Self-denial and love. Self-denial. The cross became a sign of victory and self-denial. If you were Jesus, if I was Jesus, and I was trying to create an attractive movement, I would definitely not say the following words. This is what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to them, he said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. You know how unattractive that sounds? Like regardless if this is your first time seeing it or this is your 20th time. You know how unattractive that is for someone to say, you need to, you need to deny your desires, the passions of your heart, or you want to do your truth, deny that. You know how unattractive that is? Like, that's so anti-American, so anti-post-Christian like, American culture. Deny. Deny what your heart desires. Deny that. And take up the cross, which leads to victory, and follow me. Because when we do self-denial and we take that up intentionally, this is where life awaits us. This is where victory awaits us. Because this sign, which was a sign of, of a criminal, now became a weapon of victory. And we wear it on our necks. We put it on our cars. We tattoo it on ourselves. We, we sign ourselves everywhere we go. This is how we are engaged in the life of the church, in personal prayer and in communal prayer, in liturgical worship. It's the sign of the cross. My application and my invitation to you is this question. If I choose to deny my desires, if I choose to lose, what would that look like for you? If you decide to lose, if you decide to deny yourself, what does that look like? Does that look like putting the spotlight on that other person that you can't stand? Does that mean don't continue to defend yourself? God will defend for you and leave that to God. And you not adding more gas to the fire, is that you losing, denying yourself? Maybe a fast of the church comes around and you're going to choose not to have coffee as your first thing, and you're going to delay it an hour. I know, I know, I know. It's painful. Are you going to choose to self-deny your desires? What does it mean to lose for you? I know this is unattractive. I get it. But what if there's life awaiting you and me 
if we choose the path of the cross. Because it is through the cross, which we see as weakness, this is where there's something greater than power. What I want us to do now, we'll stand in a little bit, and I want us to pray some verses from the doxologies that we pray in the church on the Feast of the Cross. I know the music might be different and unique, and maybe it's hard to pick up. I get it. But try as much as you can. Each verse is repetitive musically, and the words change. But just to give you a glimpse of how beautiful the words are, we too, the people, the Orthodox children, we bow down to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle speaks of the honor of the cross, saying, we will not boast except in the cross of Christ. And, and so forth and so on. You'll see the verses. The words are so powerful. So I encourage you, even if you know the music or you don't know the music, it's all right. But try to sing along or at least take in the richness of these ancient words and texts of our beautiful pre-denominational church. Let's stand together. We to the people, the orthodox children, we bow down to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul the Apostle speaks of the honor of the cross saying we will not boast except in the cross of christ we sing hymns all faithful to our lord jesus christ and we bow down to the cross the immortal and holy wood we take pride in you O cross on which jesus was crucified for through your time we were set free the mouth of the orthodox and the seven orders of the angels take pride in you o cross of our good savior we carry you o cross the strength of powerfully around our necks and we cry out openly hail to you across the joy of the christians the conqueror of the tyranny and our steadfastness we the faithful hail to you o cross the comfort of the faithful the steadfastness 
of the martyrs until they completed their tortures greatly honored is the sign of the cross of jesus christ the king our true god he who was crucified on the cross in order to save our race we too let us honor him crying out saying the cross is our weapon the cross is our hope the cross is our steadfastness in our troubles and sufferings in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit one god amen lord it is through your cross this is where we find hope this is where we find life this is our weapon against the struggles and pain and trials of this temporal world lord you hung on the cross in order to give us life you being mighty you showed forth what is greater than power lord it is through your cross in which we hold and wear and have lord this is where we find victory and we yearn to hold on to your cross through the struggles of this world through the prayers of all your saints lord hear us as we pray thankfully our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one in christ jesus our lord for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever amen thank you everybody we will have the aid as normal next sunday our last sunday here at the building is next sunday have a great week <laughs>